Welcome to the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. This episode was recorded in London at an Innovation Roundtable workshop hosted by BP in November 2017, where our colleague Leonard sat down with Klaus von Riegen, SAP's Head of Business Model Innovation, to discuss how the company manages both incremental and radical business model creation. Other topics discussed include the importance of obtaining customer feedback, conducting continuous experimentations, and pivots in coming up with new business models. Klaus, it's a pleasure to have you here in my little uh, backstage interview studio. Um, maybe we can start the interview by you just briefly explaining who you are, what company you work for, and uh, what role you have at the moment. Sure. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to uh, tell a little bit of what I'm doing. Uh, I am Klaus von Regen. I am the head of business model innovation at SAP in Germany, and I work at the headquarters having a role where I help uh, businesses to design new, uh, incubate and test uh, business models uh, in the marketplace that we typically haven't done before, which is a challenge on its own. And to be able to do that, I have created a service organization across the different board areas to help uh, facilitate that. How would you describe kind of the innovation framework at SAP and how does your work relate to that or kind of plug into, into that? I would call it a multifaceted uh, environment where we obviously have quite a lot of standard processes. We have a standard product development and uh, innovation lifecycle uh, where we primarily pursue existing markets, existing customers, Uh, known business models uh, where you can standardize a lot, where you can define uh, common processes along this innovation life cycle. Um, and then it's all about scale and speed. Uh, but that only works, obviously, if you know the market and if there's uh, an understanding about the customer and the willingness to, to buy uh, and the type of value proposition. If you pursue rather new markets and customers, Or if you want to deliver a completely new value proposition, like, for example, the monetization of data instead of selling software, uh, you pursue something radically new, and that does not easily meet with the standard processes because you need to uh, pursue it in a, in a new way, in a, in a new uh, sales channel, with a new pricing model, uh, maybe with a new support environment. Uh, all of that needs need to be thought out and tested. And this uh, experimentation is something that is not foreseen by a standard uh, innovation process. And that's why we have separate processes to pursue rather radical innovation up to uh, new business models, where we first start with an experimentation phase. Uh, and there we focus on learning and uh, market validation. And unless that is uh, uh, proven, uh, we uh, don't continue with the commercialization of such an offering. So it also uh, is a means to um, save scarce resources in the commercialization process. Uh, they are only utilized if there is at least on a small scale uh, a number of customers uh, willing to buy or even having bought it uh, already, such a new offering. Where are typically uh, the ideas coming from uh, and, and how do you select among the ideas that then go into that kind of testing or at least experimenting mode? So 
again, in these two main worlds, uh, in the world of existing customers um, and known markets, uh, most of the ideas um, typically come from customers, from partners, um, sometimes um, from, from employees themselves, because they hear a lot about the market and, and, and what customers demand for. So you can actually plan and, and foresee a lot. It's a lot about prioritization. It's a lot about um, a, a, a um, development process with milestones and with clear uh, gates <coughs> in the um, in the in the space where you pursue rather new markets that might even be disruptive or um, cannibalize your existing business. Um, these ideas can also come from everywhere. Uh, but unless there is a true uh, sponsorship from the very top, it's uh, almost impossible to pursue such a new thing within the company. Um, so the, even the idea might come from a, a team or from a single employee. Uh, but again, in order to pursue that, you need an environment that allows this to, uh, to happen. Um, uh, something that might even be rather radical and uh, creating such environments and protect them from the, uh, I would call it, performance engine or corporate immune system is something rather important at such an early stage uh, so that the idea doesn't die by design just because it's different. Um, so I think it's really important to um, allow employees to be creative uh, and to think out of the box, as we all say, um, but then at some point in time, you need to be clear, right? Which of these ideas can you really pursue? You cannot pursue all of them in parallel. There always also needs to be some uh, mechanism to find the ones with the best potential. And uh, we do this typically by exposing them early to customers or at least prospect, pro prospects, uh, users that can provide feedback. And through such feedback mechanisms, we uh, quite quickly find out which of these ideas can be uh, repeated in the market, which can, can address a larger market, so that you can then focus on the ones that may become part of the standard product portfolio. You were talking in the beginning about, uh, you know, that you're close to customers and, and especially for the more, more standardized processes in the innovation pipeline, the feedback is, is constantly there because uh, the customers are in interaction with the SAP products. Mm -hmm. How do you find out the needs that are more in the radical area, unspoken that, that SAP has not been involved before? How, how do you find out what people need in this area where SAP is not so experienced, where it's really radical? Right, that's a tricky element at times, right? Because customers uh, don't necessarily tell you that they want a car. They, they only want faster horses, right? As, as Henry Ford um, mentioned uh, a long time ago. Um, so, so how do you come with these rather radical innovations that, that maybe even leapfrog a certain uh, evolution? Um, <coughs> you, you cannot just listen to your existing customers. Right? You always need to understand the trends in the industry. You need to um, think about how to create value out of new technologies. <coughs> you need to work with academia. Uh, and partners a lot who might complement your uh, product portfolio. And blending these ideas into something that can create new value for existing or, or new customers is, is always important. <coughs> the question is, how do, you, how do you prioritize over the existing demand from existing customers? Uh, it always needs to be balanced. 
um, because your existing customers pay uh, the fee from which you can take some of the part that you uh, fund innovation for or, or from. Uh, otherwise, who's paying for the for the uh, more radical innovation, right? That is still in an experimental phase. So um, I think that's that's the um, one of the tricky elements to to uh, have a balanced investment portfolio on the one side, and then some form of a process that uh, um, is listening to uh, uh, new technologies, academia, partners. Or, or uh, more um, more innovative customers themselves. Some customers are experimenting with new technologies, and they might even also come up with more radical ideas that can disrupt your your uh, existing business models. And of course, at times, uh, competition is is uh, telling you something. When, for example, SAP uh, was focusing a long, long time on software business um, uh, only. Uh, competition told us, no, that's not the only business model in the software industry. There's also something called cloud. And since we've not been the uh, the, fa the fastest uh, innovator in this uh, regard, I, I must say, we've been a fast follower. And, and by now, we are one of the largest uh, cloud businesses worldwide. So, I mean, it doesn't mean that you always need to be the first, but you need to be fast in listening to what's happening and then have the execution capability to pursue such new uh, radical moves. You were talking a bit about the testing. Um, how do you run, how would a test, uh, testing a new business model look like? Uh, if, you, if you have an idea and you know, that, that business model idea goes into the experimenting phase, mm -hmm. how would you do it? Or how do you typically, I mean, probably it differs from case to case, yeah. but if you just uh, describe a bit about, you know, how, how it might look like uh, to test those business models, models mm -hmm. get feedback on it, and then iterate on it. So in the, in the past, the only way to, to test uh, new business models or new, new innovations in the marketplace was through commercialization, which is the standard process to put Uh, known innovations in, in front of known customers, um, or at least new releases of existing products. Uh, and, and so, um, unfortunately, this process takes some time. It uh, needs quite some resources across uh, the different units. Um, and it uh, expects that uh, something you funnel through this process uh, becomes uh, successful uh, automatically. Right, you know the customer, you know the value proposition, you know the pricing model, you know uh, the way they adopt it and, and, and realize value out of it. Uh, in in a true innovation, many of these elements are uncertain and um, are not clear yet from the get go. So, if for such a case you leverage something like a standard commercialization process, uh, your uh, risk of failure is really high which means the whole process execution has been a lot of waste of time and resources. So if you realize after you put it on the price list that it's not the right pricing model or the right value proposition, <coughs> you may need to change a lot of things and then rerun the same process again. Uh, so that's why we, <coughs> a few years back, have um, said, no, that's not a real option. We need a, a new mechanism to still expose something new to customers um, to still allow them to uh, use it in their environment productively and to still um, have us uh, charge them a certain fee, which eventually 
is a true form of commitment. Only if the customer is paying something, uh, then they have um, skin in the game, and then they uh, actually commit to use it and, and to, to um, it also demonstrate that they are uh, realizing some of some of the expected value. So such a new <coughs> process, we call it incubation process, <coughs> is um, also targeting customers. Uh, they also can use it productively and they can also pay for it. <coughs> but it's a much, much leaner process. It works uh, completely off the price list. <coughs> it does not leverage our sales organization. It requires the uh, innovation team itself, so this really dedicated team, to explain the uh, product, the value proposition to the customer, uh, to uh, help them adopt it, and to explain the contract and, and the price point. And um, if this team is able to do this uh, a number of times so that the idea becomes a repeatable business model or re repeatable business uh, value proposition, uh, then we have the indicator that it now makes sense to put it into the commercialization process to make it a standard product. So we could call it a staged approach, uh, incubation and then commercialization. Uh, but uh, it differs a lot in terms of the, uh, the the mechanism, right? Here we are really fast and, and support experiments at a small scale. <clears throat> and here we are somewhat slower, but we actually reach economies of scale and we go global uh, rather fast. So it's a, it's a different environment. And looking at a given innovation, you need to be sure which of the modes in the innovation lifecycle you want to play with. Let me ask you an interesting question about that uh, crossover mm -hmm. uh, from kind of the incubation process or the process where this is still a small scale until yes. it reads into... Com that's an interesting mm -hmm. part in many cases at least. Maybe you can elaborate a bit on that. It is an interesting part because uh, having a number of paying customers in an in incubation phase... Um, is quite a success for the dedicated team, but it may not mean anything for a sales organization uh, that has a certain sales quota and that needs to have repeated business every single quarter. Uh, so they might say, this is still too small and it still addresses a too small market. And I don't understand the value proposition. For me, it takes too much time to explain it to a customer. I'd rather sell what I know and uh, where I know how to make my, my revenues. So how do you cross a chasm? That's one of the key elements. Right? The sales organization is one, uh, and uh, of course, customers are more important in the end, but uh, sometimes even the internal mechanisms prevent us to position some, something new to the market because we're not prepared, we are not set up in, in, that, in that way. Which to me means that this dedicated team pursuing the innovation also needs to prepare the uh, dedicated sales and, and go-to-market motion for a new product, right? It cannot just be the features and, and, and the price point. It needs to also encompass the way of selling and the way of explaining it, um, which can also include a digital sales channel in the end, right? If it's a volume market where each product comes with a three- or four-digit price point, it's hard to conceive that uh, an account executive would position this in isolation to a corporate customer. Uh, it requires something like a digital sales channel, which works very differently. Right? Um, in that case, you would, however, still need to have a means to explain 
that this new offering exists, that prospects know about it, that they understand the way of procuring it, and that they are familiar with the digital sales and, and, and on that side procurement process. Um, is, are they set up in this way? Is their procurement organization willing to do it? Uh, a number of things that need to be sorted out on both ends, on the on the innovation side and on the on the customer side, so that this uh, new and sometimes very different sales and go-to-market model is is uh, executable. And so, if at times it needs a new team or a new um, sales approach, then this needs to be thought through. And then this performance engine uh, covering the sales organization needs to invest into a new sales model and then it's a it's a handshake that needs to happen between these these two teams it's not easy it's sometimes a rather uh, um, uh, large challenge uh, but if the opportunity is large enough and if we have the right sponsors internally then we can uh, make it happen we just need to be a little patient let me ask you now about uh, now i'm curious about mm -hmm. the team Uh, and uh, some reflections from you, what you've seen of, of those teams, mm -hmm. and also having someone in the team who also understands that that com commercialization mm -hmm. and, and the needs for that internally, but also uh, how to set it up uh, in a way that that it makes that transi transition more easily. That's one. But but more more importantly, how does the teams mm -hmm. typically look like? How do you how do you uh, assemble them? And how do they evolve also during the mm -hmm. different stages? Well, I'm not the one assembling them. I can only give recommendations on how I would staff these teams. Um, in, in general, uh, if it's a rather uh, new idea, if it's rather different to what we've done before, you can, you can easily isolate it from the rest of the product portfolio. They may even work with only new customers. Or if it's all about existing customers, they might address new buying centers. So there's some mechanism to, to shield them from the rest of the organization in the early days. But it also means that they need to act like a startup within the corporation. So they need to have all the functions that the startup would typically uh, encompass in, in, in their team. Right? It's not just the CEO and a, 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 a person who understands the product and the person who is responsible for sales. Uh, you may also, also need to have someone who uh, is responsible for operations, who can think how to productize this and, and how to, um, how to um, uh, eventually run these processes on a more scalable uh, basis. Um, so the, 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 the team is most of the time the most important element, uh, as we all know from the startup environment. <clears throat> and unless the team is... is um, conceived to be capable to do it, uh, we, we need to be clear and, and may need to ask for, for uh, new team members or, or change of team members, if that's necessary. <clears throat> On the other side, I don't want all the skills that you some your times need in, to be in that, in that very team. You have a lot of skills in the larger corporation. We have a, a legal team that is uh, obviously there to write contracts. Uh, we have <clears throat> a shared service center that runs processes up to uh, creating invoices for customers and collecting uh, the, the revenues. We have a lot of functions in the corporation that can be leveraged uh, on a case-by-case -case basis, even for rather and somewhat radical innovations. And that's why we have this, um, Vijay Govindarajan calls it the shared staff concept, 
um, where some of the people in legal, in the shared service center, in controlling, in go-to-market and elsewhere, are dedicated to support new innovations uh, going forward. On the other side, I, I don't want this dedicated team, this startup in the corporation, to encompass all functions they might need now and, and in the near future. I can also borrow a lot from the larger corporation. Right? There is a legal team, there is a shared service center, there are other support organizations, uh, and they uh, have these skills and they have these functions that we can borrow and we can make them work in a, in a startup environment. And um, we do it in the same way as, as Vijay Govindarajan explained in, in, in his books. We have this shared staff concept. So some of the members in these existing units in the corporation are there to support uh, rather uh, radical innovation at times. Um, and they uh, are then able to write the contract for the startup. Uh, they're able to uh, prepare the go-to-market model for the startup uh, or to write an invoice uh, if needed for the first paying customers. Uh, because that's not something you want to do in a startup. You want to focus on the innovation uh, uh, itself. So this mechanism to borrow what is useful and to protect what is not needed or may prevent innovation is an important uh, consideration. And how do you combine the uh, creative and, and, and fast-acting uh, people from a startup with those elements you can leverage from a corporation. That's one of the most critical elements, and, and you cannot always uh, standardize it, depending on the type of situation you are in. You sometimes need a new approach, how to work together, and then need to motivate this new environment. And um, sometimes people are not prepared, and, and for them it's, too, it's a, too, a too steep learning curve, and then we need to have um, the right sponsors. Or we need to move more people into the, into the startup to protect it and to make it uh, fast. Let me ask you about um, the organizational setup. This is probably a cross-functional uh, um, role that you have. You're supporting in, in different business units uh, in that, or how does it work in, 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 uh, in practice? Yeah, my own role, it's, uh, as I explained in the beginning, it's a service uh, organization. Um, and I'm serving all business units at SAP, um, which means the traditional product organization that sometimes has uh, innovations that are not that certain, right? that are not addressing existing markets. And, and then we also need to incubate within the uh, performance engine, if you, if you want. Um, and I have also rather radical innovations by design. We have something called the Innovation Center Network, which is uh, headed by our chief innovation officer. It's a an organization that has some seven, eight hundred people maybe working on rather radical new technologies as well, exploring them and exploring new markets. Uh, and I can isolate them more easily from the rest of the corporation, uh, but eventually they receive the same services, right, to incubate new businesses, to validate uh, the assumptions in such a new uh, business model, and to then transform something that works on a small scale back into the performance engine where we can reach economies of scale and there we can uh, address a much larger market. So I serve all these different types of businesses and then I need to uh, configure my service to, to their uh, situation and, and their particular demand. So it's more a kind of at times high-touch um, management consulting approach 
um, and, and sometimes it's more just to run in a program for a year or 18 months, which we, for example, currently do when we move from um, a subscription model in the cloud to a, a pay-as-you-go model for certain types of businesses. Uh, that requires for uh, kind of a dozen or two dozen of teams to work hand-in-hand -hand because introducing a consumption-based pricing model to the market uh, is, is crossing all functions from, from the contract uh, through the metering of the data in the product uh, up until to um, dynamically creating invoices and collecting the respective cash from customers uh, up until the provisioning of a dashboard to a customer so that they know what they've actually consumed. So you need to work with many different units in the, in the company uh, in combination uh, together uh, in, in, in one set of milestones so that this uh, transformation from one business model to the next can happen uh, consistently and, and uh, holistically. Let me ask you about a question uh, about kind of the, the decomposing the business model and finding out what is really the driver because it has so many or it has many different elements. Mm -hmm. uh, is it then really the, the product or whatever, or is it the way uh, the, the pricing model or and and what your experiences is with it and how you experiment with the you know exchanging different parts and pieces uh, within a, a business model to figure out. Okay, what, did it, what is it really that then provides real value in the end? <laughs> I mean, the answer is, is obviously yes, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, can be, it can be all of that, uh, uh, standalone or in combination, right? Um, what I've seen many times is that uh, people come up with great ideas. They, um, they sketch out the, the business model canvas, for example, or they have... Uh, laid out a, a set of personas they are addressing or they have collected pain points that are re that are seen repeatable at many uh, customers. Um, so I like this way that they run this in a design thinking mode and, and, and really first try to understand what, what, ca are, what are expected, what are the pain points today or maybe in the future that customers perceive um, and how can we create a repeatable innovation that addresses the pain point and creates immediate value, more or less immediate value. Um, uh, the, this idea creation and, and design of the business model um, is, 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 is nice, but to me it's only a starting point. Because if you then start talking to customers, if you then explore to what extent the customer um, confirms the value proposition and the effect it has on existing pain points, you then often realize that you need to change your, uh, your value proposition and you may even need to think about a new way of um, convincing new and existing customers with this uh, innovation. Right? I mean, it's not, it's not always uh, an option to go through a, a direct sales organization. As I mentioned, sometimes you need to sell digitally and uh, you only figure this out during the early innovation life cycle, right? You figure out that, oh, of course, this becomes a volume business. I need to sell it in a different way. There are different consequences uh, of all the decisions you make uh, along this, this, this early life cycle. And what I'm trying to say is that, in the end, the business model is also changing from a very, very early design up until a business model that has been validated in the market and is now ready for scale. 
Um, and if you look at what's different in the beginning and what's different in the uh, at this early uh, later stage, there can be quite some 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 change even for a radical innovation. In the beginning, I when I took my job five years ago, I always thought, okay, just sketch out the canvas, and then we know what to do, and then we just just need to execute. No, that's wrong. We need to even pivot this new business model idea until we have found some uh, uh, concept that is. Uh, more uh, mature and, and, and more ready to, to scale. I mean, that's a general answer to your question, but uh, I've, I've seen so many cases where it's not uh, not an option to derive uh, the difference in an early stage uh, only. We need to be capable to continuously uh, understand what's new and, and how to react to it. Now I'm going into the last last two questions. Um, one is about leadership and innovation teams. What is your take on that? Um, what is important in terms of leadership if you, especially maybe for the ones that are more in the radical area where there's a lot of uncertainty? Well, leadership is always important in any organization, uh, even in, in, uh, in areas where it's a lot about repeatable processes. Um, where you need to focus on, on uh, scalability and automation and standardization. How do you reach that? That's sometimes rather difficult as well. Um, in the innovation front end, it's all about creativity and, and being fast and, and getting customer feedback quickly and, and broadly. Uh, so from a leader in that uh, environment, I would, I would expect uh, someone who could, can create passion uh, among the team primarily and... and um, to really focus on, on tr true customer obsession, right? To be really obsessed what the customer is perceiving today and, and how the team might address that. Uh, unless it's really customer focused and, and obsessed, it, it, it's not a true innovation, right? It may be a great idea that is feasible and can be, can be implemented and looks nice and colorful, but whether or not it addresses a real pain point in the market is, is something different. So creating passion, really being customer obsessed, uh, is is this um, these two first and foremost qualities. Uh, I, I I also expect a third quality, which is uh, creating uh, respect uh, of being part of a larger corporation. Uh, if you work as a in a, in a startup environment, uh, you typically expect that there are no boundaries except financial boundaries. You can do whatever you think is needed from the customer and, and um, you acquire skills you don't have and you just go ahead and, and you do things you, as you like. If you're part of a larger corporation, um, there are certain rules that you cannot neglect and, and you must not neglect them. So, for example, if your new business model is all about monetizing data, uh, you might be okay if you work outside of the European economic area, uh, but if you are inside... Uh, or if your customer has employees or customers in this uh, in, in Europe, uh, then you are facing strong uh, data protection regulation uh, and data privacy regulation, which means you should rather know what you are doing with the data you collect from customers. If you don't have their consent, you cannot make use of that data, even if you are a, a small startup. Uh, and that's even more true if you are part of a larger corporation, because then the larger corporation is at risk if this small idea is not uh, compliant. So some of these mechanisms need to be uh, fulfilled still, um, and that's why I need to ask for respect. Uh, res the startup needs to respect the larger corporation 
and some of its corporate rules, not all of them, because you can neglect many of them, but some of them are really important. And on the other side, the corporation, that's my ask to the leaders of the corporation, they should also respect the needs of the startup, which are somewhat different and which might um, not be in line with their KPI set or with their mindset. So having these leaders be more uh, pragmatic and be more willing to explore new territories with these startups is also an ask I, I have uh, to them in the end. Now you have seen uh, innovation uh, in a really fast-paced technological environment. So how would you describe uh, the changes in innovation you have seen in the last uh, years? Or, and, and what do you expect kind of looking forward, the way or, uh, innovation is organized uh, specifically? Mm. Yeah, I think it's actually not so much about technology innovation or, or um, technological trends. I mean, we see a lot of happening in this area of IoT and blockchain and artificial intelligence. And of course, SAP is also focusing on, on that and exploring new ways to create value, um, realizing this value out of, out of these, these new technologies. Um, all of that is needed. Uh, but I think what has changed over the years is the way we, uh, we get behind this. Because in the past, um, I think we always thought about a one-size-fits-all type of process, right? We, uh, there's a great idea. Uh, it goes through an innovation life cycle until it reaches customers, and then we are great and everything, everybody is successful. Uh, you can look at every single company's price list, and due to the Pareto principle, there's always a long tail. Uh, you create 80% of your revenues with 20% of your products, and then there's a long, long, long tail of products that are not successful in the market. Um, and I'm not asking um, organizations to, um, to sort out this long tail. I'm asking for organizations to prevent more innovations to appear on the price list that are not becoming successful. So how do you find this out earlier? How can you run uh, market validations earlier? How can you focus on the right things uh, earlier. That's, I think, what we learned uh, over the past years. Um, again, when I took on my role uh, a number of years back, the first thing I was asked uh, was to help the organization to filter. Right? Um, many people and teams were coming to, um, to, these, uh, to, to the uh, respective corporate uh, organizations that are there to support innovation. We're asking for new things and sometimes radical things. And they thought, okay, how can we filter this? How can we stop the cases that are not uh, meaningful and that might not result in a successful product in the end? And when I heard this question, I was only answering, oh, okay, I cannot, I cannot tell you uh, this answer. I, I cannot uh, give you any, any feedback uh, unless we explore to some extent in the market with real customers, what this would mean, uh, we cannot give anybody any advice because it's all based on assumptions uh, and it's all, uh, it all requires uh, some way of uh, um, working with real customers to, to gain early feedback and to gain uh, an understanding whether or not we should continue with that uh, idea. 
Um, and it also requires um, a culture that is willing to stop things, right? If unless you are uh, willing to accept uh, failure, uh, meaning that you actually discontinue a project and do not uh, blame the team that they failed, but uh, uh, give them uh, uh, give them uh, the honor that they learned something that does not work because now they can focus on something that can work. Um, that's kind of, I think, the culture that is needed even in a larger corporation. So uh, running early market validation, accepting failure, and allowing people to fail and, and then find something different is, is an important cultural element. And uh, creating this culture for innovation and creating the right mindset um, is something I think we have learned a lot about over the past 10 years. We learned a lot from startups, but now the real question is how can we leverage a startup culture within a larger corporation without uh, challenging either side uh, from, the, from, from the other? We need to have an environment where we can leverage the benefits of being a part of a larger corporation by still avoiding the, uh, sometimes the negative consequences. So this, uh, this question is one that is answered to some extent, but I think uh, we are still learning, and even SAP is still learning in this regard. So my, my job is protected, and uh, I think we, um, we uh, are still uh, on a, in a, in a journey. Uh, we are still becoming better, and uh, um, so that in the future we will maybe even be f somewhat faster and, and um, increase our overall uh, innovation capability in the end. Klaus, thank you very much for that uh, interesting and uh, pleasant conversation. Thank you, Leonard. The video version of this podcast can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, innovationroundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with other corporate innovators, share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers. Our network is exclusively for innovation practitioners and large firms, so visit innovationroundtable.online to discover more and request your seven-day free trial account.